wake up, dust yourself off, make some coffee, get those boogies out of your eyes, wipe the lipstick off your lips from that person you kissed last night. It may have been a bad decision. She was an ex. And that's going to be a weird talk later today. Maybe you should ignore your phone. Ignore, too, the scale. But don't ignore those donuts in the cabinet. Why are they in the cabinet? I don't know. You put them there last night. It was a crazy party. Happy New Year's. But don't ignore your Google podcast. <laughs> just telling you there's a new podcast. There's a new podcast from us. Uh, so was that you reading from your new uh, romantic uh, novel? Classical yet new, modern. New yeah. romantic novel. Yeah, the, your newest uh, AJ's side business is writing romantic novels. Oh, dang. Can we start a rumor with this? I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, it's New Year's. Let and a all acquaintance be forgotten. Never brought to mind. Let all acquaintance be forgotten in the words of old Lang Syne. We're really good at knowing the words to that song. I said in, in like, the woods of old Lang Syne. I don't <laughs> think that I take was it. It's like half in Gaelic. It's not our fault. Is that really the... Is it Gaelic? Old Lang Syne? Isn't that Gaelic? I don't know. Or Irish? You know all these things. I, it was I don't know. No. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's not Latin. <laughs> Latin is almost always my guess also. In any case, the old philosopher said, know thyself. And if you are intending to have some sort of New Year's resolution, well, you can't change yourself... So you know what you are, right? What are you changing from? You got to know what you are before you know where you're going or else navigation becomes difficult. So how do you do that, listener? How do you figure out who you are? Is it the quiz that tells you what Harry Potter house you are? <laughs> Is it the quiz that tells you what jungle animal you are or whether or not you look attractive in glasses? Maybe what member, what cast member of Saved by the Bell? I feel like those... Buzzfeed articles? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like those are okay. Did you do to try? your Did you do your Patronus test on to see what your Patronus was in Harry Potter? Yes, I'm an uh, Irish sheepdog. Why are you I'm, laughing at me? Because you hurt children. That's your job. Oh well. Um, I'm not fluffy enough to be Hufflepuff, and I'm not brave enough to be Gryffindor. I feel like I've I've no, just no, got not enough. The house. You're, you're, you're talking about the Patronus. Patronus. Little animal that you that that you shoot. Oh, mine's a centaur. Guys. Is that true? You just no. made that up. No, my, but my spirit animal is a centaur. What does that mean? Uh, <laughs> you just I'm, really identify with centaurs? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I used to look like one when I had what? dreadlocks. <laughs> I'm serious. I looked like a centaur. And yeah, then, but you didn't have uh, uh, horse legs. Like, you, you clearly did not look like a centaur. Did you know me in college? <laughs> I don't dangerous. think you did. He's of ill humor. <laughs> That's the thing. I'm, I'm a little bit cranky. I'm a little bit dangerous. I'm mysterious, and I know about the stars. <laughs> <laughs> This, make, this makes no sense well, to me. This is like when I used to work at Krispy Kreme and this lady walked in who had been drinking and she commented that I looked like Spider-Man, but objectively I don't. Like I wasn't, I, I didn't have a mask on. You I didn't. glasses, that's probably it. No, no, but she said Spider-Man. She didn't say Peter Parker. Oh. She said Spider-Man. Anyway, mm-hmm. she might not have meant that. Anyway. And now even more, I mean, the centaurs used to be the trainers of heroes mm-hmm. and now I train children. It's it, like, it mm-hmm. is my spirit go. animal. I am, I am a centaur, except it'd be weird for a Patronus because usually those just come out and sort of dance around. My would come out and like make a speech is that be gone ye tormentor or (laughs) augmentor what are those called the dementors dementors that's what it is and with that segue we're we're gonna give it to thomas no what if what if the conclusion of today's talk was actually that the 
Patronus quiz was the perfect personality measure. Wouldn't I think that be a I twist? was like some kind of sad bird, like a pigeon oh. or something. <laughs> it just comes out, <laughs> and that that's what saves you. Yeah. AJ, if you log into Pottermore, because I know you have an account on it, you can take your Patronus quiz. I will not judge you if you are doing that right now. Maybe I'll judge you a little bit. Doing it in three. <laughs> there it is. Two. What was it? Pottermore? Pottermore. Don't pretend like you don't know. Okay. So today we're going to be talking, uh, first off, Happy New Year. I believe Happy New Year. Happy New Year. This is January 1, 2019. That's weird. This is what is going to kick off three months of me writing down the wrong year uh, on mm, any mm-hmm. time that I'm writing mm-hmm. down the date. So get excited for that. Today we're going to be talking about personality broadly and we as as with many of my topics we'll start by understanding kind of the modern conceptions of it and then we'll move into what is hopefully a more classical and potentially more helpful way of thinking through personality i'm, I'm pumped I, I i hope so this is as the british say i'm chuffed i'm trying to take my patronus quiz <laughs> i'm so sorry are we interrupting your pottermore quiz it makes noise apparently i mean it does it, oh here, here's when you we'll when do. you roll the cursor over the close uh-huh. button it yeah. makes noise ready listen <laughs> so Hanberg, here I'll make you a deal. We'll do our Pottermore quiz, and then we'll reveal it on the next podcast. Okay, sounds like a deal. All right, I'll, I'll close. I'll close that for now. No, it's, it was perfect. You could have just known. muted it. That was the other option. You, I, but I'm not sure how that works with our recording audio. Like if I oh, mute terrifying. my audio here, we might lose audio. If you play audio altogether. on your computer, does it just go right into the sound file? No, it, oh. it's actually looping through the microphone into In, back to the computer. Hmm. This it's like a different systems, but I'm not sure on what level they interact. The listeners don't need to know. That's this. what I'm saying. I'm hoping that the listener didn't hear a thing and they're just like, what, what are these happening? three? Yeah. Are we just having a shared hallucination right if now? If you guys heard it, the listener heard it. Oh, never mind. All right, yeah. maybe. So are you a INTJ? There it is. Great. So what we will you? start off by talking about Myers-Briggs. So for anyone who doesn't know, the uh, I will sometimes call it MBTI. That's the Myers-Briggs type indicator. It is a very popular form of personality measure. It is much like the name MBTI, it's made up of four letters. And those four letters are, uh, the first is either extroversion, E, or introversion, I. And I'll be reading, this is off of the Myers-Briggs Foundation website. They provide kind of a, the, the shortest summary possible for what these different letters mean. So I'll just go through a little bit of what the test is itself. We'll talk about its history, and then we'll uh, bash on it just for fun, because we're mean. So Myers-Briggs Foundation, the way you determine whether you're extroverted or introverted is to say, do you prefer to focus on the outer world or on your own inner world? So outer world is extroversion, on your own inner world is introversion. So boys, hearing that, would you identify primarily as an extrovert or an introvert? Introvert. Introvert. Uh, I don't know. Really? You like going camping. Oh, which would be introvert. Yeah, but I like going camping with people. No. So the next so when I whenever I take the Myers Briggs test, I am right on the border. I am too, actually. I'm I'm like three percent towards extroverted. Okay, and I feel like it's garbage because whenever you do the test, it's like here are five people you're like. You are like Gandhi, Stalin, (laughs) Paul McCartney, (laughs) and Saint Paul. You're like what? None of those people. How are those the same personalities? So So I always call a little bit of hogwash on this one because my students tell me it's like it's not what you like are it's how you recharge and i was like ah. everyone needs time alone e- like mm, everyone everyone almost almost everyone i've ever met they reach a threshold where they they have to like take a little time alone to recharge yep. and yeah you all are getting to some of the tension in the myers-briggs test let's let's come back to that after we go through let's describe it and then talk about why it sucks okay 
Is that fair? Yes. Okay. So the second category is on information. Do you prefer to focus on the basic information you take in or do you prefer to interpret and add meaning? So if you, (laughs) that is the dumbest question. If you focus on the basic information you're sensing, if you prefer to interpret and add meaning, that's uh, intuitive, which is an N for the second letter of the word intuitive. Anyway, doesn't anyone who reads philosophy know that like the only way we can take in information is by interpretation. You know, some people who are like, I want, uh, data points. I only want to look at spreadsheets. They're interpreting. No, you they are sensing those. purely. <laughs> anyway, the third category is decisions. When making decisions, do you prefer to first look at logic and consistency or first look at the people in special circumstances? If you prefer to look at logic and consistency, that is thinking, which is a T. And if you first look at the people in special circumstances, that is feeling F. Are you all more thinkers or feelers? I always, I always like, I'm straddling this one too. Mm. Um, cause I, there's a lot of feelings inside. Oh, I think I'm hard thinking. Hard, okay. Yeah. And then finally for structure in dealing with the outside world, do you prefer to get things decided or do you prefer to stay open to new information and options? If you prefer to get things decided, that's judging. And if you prefer to stay open to new things and options, that's perceiving. Would you um, identify as judging or perceiving? I am more a perceiver. I like, I'm, I'm a perceiver as well. Cool. I-N-F-P. Inf. Okay, so now that we have I'm identified... I'm an E-N-T-P. Okay, I, let's go I-N-F-P. Like a walking tree. Yeah, I'm N-P. I don't like that at all. I-N-F-P. Graham, you are... just maple syrup. I was going to say, isn't that just sap or something? It's like in blood, isn't it? So... INFP, that means, Graham, you are deep felt, uh, uh, quietly caring, uh, compassionate, pursues meaning and harmony. Okay. Uh, AJ, what is yours? ENTP. ENTP. And for Uh, the record, every time I've read a description of an ENTP, they have me absolutely nailed to the wall. Like that it is. Yeah. I've never read one. I've been like, that's not me. Every time it's 100% me. So you're energetic and inventive and enthusiastic, abstract, logical, novelty seeking, adaptable. So now that we've identified your perfect personality, let's talk a little bit about where this, well, you all are getting at, eh, let's talk about where it comes from first. So the test is named Myers-Briggs. Does anyone want to guess uh, who came up with this? Advertisers. Okay. Well, you're not entirely (laughs) wrong, but no, literally the name is Myers-Briggs. Where where did this name come from? Uh, Oscar uh, Meyer. Oscar Meyer. Hot dogs. And and, um, uh, the Brig. Oscar Meyer spent some time in a jail and... uh, Uh, Buffy Briggs broke him out. (laughs) What is... I prefer, Buffy Briggs. Buffy Briggs is a really strong jail, a really strong thief that broke Oscar Mayer out of jail. Sounds sounds. I swear legit you to make me. up all the things that you say. <laughs> okay, so Myers Briggs was put together by two people. One, I'm Buffy what, Briggs. So, <laughs> why does he talk like <laughs> an old see, time boxer <laughs> or a gangster? Gangster. So <laughs> put him up, say. Literally, what's <laughs> your carpetbagger. This makes no what? Okay, so the you feel up. I, I am redirecting. So the the test was put together by these two people, Catherine Cook Briggs and oh. Isabel Briggs Myers. So Briggs and Myers, Myers Briggs. Wait, two Briggses. It sounds like there was they some are related. Sisters? No, oh. uh, Catherine Cook Briggs is the mother, and her daughter is Isabel Briggs Myers. Wow. So these Mom two daughter. people who came up with what is ostensibly the so just to add. You might be wondering why we're talking about the Myers-Briggs as a starting point. Used by 89 of the Fortune 100 companies. It's used by the U.S. government. It's used by hundreds of universities. And this this is from a wonderful... I need to find the little link. Anyway, there's a great article about 
Myers-Briggs, and I'll try and pull it up by the end. That's a classical thing I got wrong for not knowing the name. Anyway, it's also used by online dating sites to pair people together. Uh, the field of psychometric testing, of which Myers-Briggs is the largest, is a $500 million industry. There are many tests given every year. Anyway, these two people who came up with the most popular of the psychometric tests, the most popular of the personality tests, what do you think their credentials were? What do you think their background was that prepared them to be able to put together? Do you already know this story, actually? I do not. I'm going to guess that they were... Gardeners. Okay. <laughs> but... Scientists. Right. You would, Scientists, you guess, gardeners. They were, they were botanists. They were... Okay. Yes. But, uh, so they studied plants, which prepared them to study humans? Well, personality. You learn a lot from a plant. That doesn't... Plants don't have personality. Say that to a Venus flytrap. To all you Venus flytraps listening, you don't have a personality. They get a little bit snippy. That's, uh, it hurts. They, they can give biting remarks. <laughs> I'm so upset right now. Okay, so these two people, what, what else? They fly. <laughs> So upsetting. What other things would you expect of these two people, Myers and Briggs? What would you expect them to know if they're putting together this personality test? Uh, psychology. Psychology, they, right? They Background psychology. Like Freud. Freud's young friends. Freud's friends. So like buddies with him. They are... His secretaries. I don't know. Oh, so some kind of close connection with him. You would... Secretary feels almost too disconnected from like... No, then his like his um, research assistants. They did all the clerical work while... Freud was hobnobbing, hobnobbing at parties. That's fair. So they did the actual work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Freud stole credit from them. Nah. So actually, they're a mother and daughter Classic Freud here to not do any work and be hobnobbing. Yeah, yeah. Is that his style? I don't know anything no, no about it. So the origin of the story is that <clears throat> this mother and daughter pair, so that is um, the mother and daughter pair, they, well, I guess the mother who is older, so Catherine Cook Briggs, while raising her daughter Isabel was making observations just writing things down every day as to you know how her daughter was acting what she noticed about the personality what she noticed about the traits of her daughter and she would eventually publish this so for 13 years she wrote down daily observations about her kid and then she published that under a pseudonym thankfully but I was gonna say that feels like having your mom post all your baby pictures on Facebook and having them never go away but almost worse well way worse narrate your actions Yeah. yeah so from birth until yeah 13 the mom, Catherine, kept this uh, this uh, this diary. Thirteen, the perfect year for a children to have an expose on their actions come out <laughs> to the world. Sounds awful. Thankfully, it was titled "The Life of Suzanne." It was not actually named "The Life of Isabel," which was the daughter's actual name. Anyway, uh, Catherine had read a book by Carl Jung, so that mm. is spot on for having a reference there. So Carl Jung talked about these different archetypes, mm-hmm. and his understanding of archetype is not. You all will probably have more to say about this than I do, but it's not to say that this is how people actually act, but these are the way that stories are told over long periods of time and that there are heroes that exemplify these different traits. And that those stories are pretty universally known or are hardwired into the human... I would say soul. Young would probably say psyche. Yeah, exactly. And even if there are different details to those stories, we recognize all of Mm -hmm. them. So that is that is what Young meant when he talked about archetypes. Are we talking about Star Wars? Do you know? Oh, it's a hero with a thousand faces. Oh, we already did that one. Oh, that's true. Which is a great episode to go back and listen to it. So Young wrote this book and then Catherine read it and she loved it. And so then Catherine wrote to Young and said, hey, what if we took this and used it to understand for child raising? Like, what if we applied your archetypes to parenting? So... Catherine writes this letter to Young. Young uh, writes back, 
let me get the quote. Young rebuked her for overstepping her bounds as a dispassionate observer. You overdid it, he wrote. You wanted to help, which is an encroachment upon the will of others. Your attitude ought to be that of one who offers an opportunity that can be taken or rejected. Otherwise, you are most likely to get in trouble. It is so because man is not fundamentally good. Almost half of him is a devil. So the guy who actually came up with the archetypes that Catherine was applying didn't like the idea of of what she was doing. Didn't like the archetypes being applied to personality, understanding personality. Did, did, he, did he give a reason as opposed to just a rebuke? In saying that she overdid it. In saying that, in saying, well, yeah. so in, as opposed to just using this to understand people, what Catherine is wanting to do. Was to more do, deterministic? Like yeah. you are this kind of person? Yes, that. And then also to raise the, raise her children in that way. Uh, like to, yeah, yeah, instead yeah. of being a dispassionate observer, actually like engaging in the situation so this is god like forbid the, she raised her children yes, i mean that's yes but this exactly. is kind of like the area of the of 19th century science that i find really fascinating and i haven't done a ton of research on but i'm just sort of starting to kind of piece these things together is this move towards classification and labeling of psychology so you know psychology bursts on the scene with with young and freud and then you get this move to doing like your sort of classical bio biological classification of oh you are a intj this is going to explain things just like how we can say this is a chrysanthemum that comes from this line of chrysanthemums and that can tell us what this flower is going to do we have this move to be doing that to different kinds of human beings um and you see that play itself out in all sorts of different aspects. So you're moving people away from just actions, from verbs to nouns. Sure. You are now an X mm -hmm. as opposed to you. This person has done Y. It's this person is now an X who does and the X person does Y. That move, I feel like, is a really big shift that we don't think too much about. Um, the one that I, not to get too controversial, but the one that uh, um, uh, that got me thinking about this was the move from talking about um, different sort of taboo sexual acts, acts like sort of the the old sodomy laws of England, to talk to labeling of hetero and homosexual, like. The idea of heterosexuality and homosexuality are labels that are coming out of this 19th century movement of wanting to classify and pathologize behavior. Mm -hmm. um, and in the classical world, they didn't have, they didn't label human beings. Everybody was a man. Everybody was a human. Mm -hmm. But there was actions that you did, um, but they didn't pathologize them or they didn't, um, they didn't give labels to mm -hmm. it that you were an X. Mm -hmm. But it that's not just, entirely you did fair. A y. There are... Types the sanguine, yes, but those are but those are less different. deterministic. Yeah. I think we, we'll we'll right, get we'll to get, the temperaments yeah. at the end. But there is there are some differences between how the temperaments understand personality and how Myers Briggs does. But the, I would say the deterministic was there, but in the form of, uh, for any lack of a better word, your sign being born under the sign of Mercury would make you merc mercurial. It is deterministic. You were born under this particular situation in the heavens. Therefore but you it act wasn't a deterministic. Way. It was influential, influential. And it, again, yes, it, you are influenced to be a certain way. You yes. can counteract it with, I think it was, what was it? Wisdom and effort. Yes. I and think I think the, and the goal and was to overcome and I think, it. And the goal was to overcome yeah. it. I think yeah. that's the huge difference. It wasn't a, a, a license to sort of fall into yes. it. Correct. It was you had a, identifying it and then counteracting. Yes, mm -hmm. You had a tendency, but if you gave too much into that tendency, that was ignoble. That was not, a good way to live mm -hmm. just all oh, dang maybe this is awesome keep going yeah i hope so so just all to say on myers-briggs so that what myers-briggs then it will i'll briefly cover problems because you already said them what does myers-briggs aim to do myers-briggs aims to put you into one of 16 categories and say you are this thing the 
Just Ar- like Gandhi and Stalin and Paul McCartney. Yeah. And, you, and John Lennon and, or not Lennon, Lennon McCartney can't be the same one. I, Jackson Pollock. There you go. But, <laughs> JFK. Yeah, so the goal is to put you into one of these mutually exclusive categories. The ideology behind it says that you are a certain personality, that it does not change over time. They usually recommend a test early uh, the earliest test to be taken somewhere around 13 because that's when your personality is solidified which also is not true it's definitely it's not, not true. true so as someone I'm the who, same guy now that i was at 13 yeah i as hope someone not who teaches <laughs> ninth, really. someone who teaches like in high school to think of the ninth graders and then think of them as 12th graders not true so some people do push back and say that there are tendencies that are the same between childhood and now but to say that we are the same person is terrifying and i hope not true and part of why we're talking about this on january 1st that if you have thought about doing some sort of new year's resolution just because you've been a certain way the previous year does not mean you need to be that same way this next year there should be only one thing you resolve to do which is virtue mm. oh i thought you're gonna f- say vote <laughs> oh you started with a v you're v- and I, I thought you were going with vote on that oh, one i thought you subscribed to classical stuff i thought virtue. that was the only resolution <laughs> yes. that was I mean, necessary step one like and subscribe yes. <laughs> are we a youtube channel now yeah. So goal is to classical put, stuff does Twitch. We're gonna play, boys. Uh, not not me anymore. Sorry, I have never played <laughs> never Fortnite. Played, neither no. have I. I, ha- I died almost instantly both times. <laughs> this makes me sad. So I just want to dance. It's, uh, I'm so sad for all of you right now. So yes, I heard there's a game mode. Sorry, sorry, Thomas. This is so. I exciting. heard there's a game mode where the goal is to dance on the enemy's dance floor for as long as you possibly can. So you have to like kill everybody and then go dance on the dance floor. That's just really smart. I feel like that's super fun. Anyway, sorry, Thomas. Anyway, one of sixteen categories. A second problem that you are getting at is that the Myers-Briggs is aiming to put you is to differentiate between these two poles. So first off, there's an assumption in it that extroversion is the opposite of introversion, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily true. So you, is it, is it possible to conceive of someone who is both extroverted when around oh, people and also loves solitude? For sure. So are they separately solitude when they have their alone time, yeah. like they protect it. And then when they're with people, they're really gregarious, which probably like Jesus or Twain. Sure. It sounds like, Oh, we should, Oh, I'll come back to that. AJ, maybe your comment is pointing to you being some, having some, uh, you, you have both of these traits. You, you are not only extroverted or only introverted. You have some of both. Is that what you're I think that's at? fair. Yep. So there's an assumption that these two, these things are poles of each other. And then also by only giving yourself a letter, you are equating someone who on a test score is 51% extroverted and hundred percent extroverted. Mm-hmm. You're saying they're both the same for being extroverted, mm-hmm. which is a silly thing to say. So those are all things that are great about the Myers-Briggs. It is, and I, I won't go into it here. But it's not, is it useful enough that, I mean, ah. if all of these people are using it, it, it yeah. must be a mental model that carries some kind of inter, some sort of freight yeah. for dealing with human beings. Sure. So why is Myers-Briggs popular if it's actually really bad? So part of well, the reason Myers-Briggs is used at all is because an executive coach got hold of this model that uh, that Myers and Briggs put together, and then she sold that to CEOs. So there was no research, there was no testing of the model before it was being used in a corporate setting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so why did employers like it? Because people are really complicated. Yeah. And if you can boil people down to these 16 things and say, identify what personality is, put them in a job that's appropriate to that personality, that's way easier than actually having to get to know people. Sure. And then introverted thinking, perceiving and then, an account and, and just, yeah, and just move them down the assembly line, put them into the right spot, extroverted sales, treat them, yeah, treat them as widgets, put them in the right spot and just go in that sense. That's why that's a piece of why Myers-Briggs mm-hmm. is popular. Mm-hmm. I think the second piece is that who I, I forget who was joking about this earlier, but all the goofy personality tests that exist on Facebook. Why do we take those? Because we like to know about ourselves. 
It's true. Right? We like to we like to think about ourselves. And so if this gives us some insight into who we are, we want to do that. I think it also goes further than that. I think we are often mysteries to ourselves. We want one thing and don't necessarily do it. And mm-hmm. we don't see why we can't do the thing we want to do. I mean, St. Paul would have said sin, mm-hmm. right? But I don't know. I think having someone else resolve your personality tension and anxiety for you is a relief. Yeah. Like being able to say I am an ENTP and that's what I am. And that's how I should cater to myself is a lot easier than saying I'm really complex. And my, the things that I do sometimes scare and baffle me and I don't want to like, nobody wants to live there. Right. And so it's finding that a heavy relief. load for Buzzfeed to bear <laughs> to create these personality types <laughs> it is. Yes. So, Answer these questions about food and we'll tell you the... Your deepest, yeah. innermost desires. Yeah. But we do want it's that. Like your like deep, innermost desires are for a burrito. But part of it is that... <laughs> for a burrito? That's my deepest desire. Part of it is that... I, I list this as a weakness of the personality measures is that they flatten our language, but that's also a strength of it, is that we are complicated creatures and we're looking for simple solutions to complicated things. Mm-hmm. And so if someone can just tell you, this is who you are and this is why you've experienced all the problems you have, there's something comforting in that. I still can't get over the 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 overnowning of human beings. Let's let's follow with that. That's actually so the, another side of it. Myers Briggs. I wouldn't say it's pathologizing anything because it would it makes a statement that all sixteen types. There's no better or worse type. So yeah. all the types are good. I guess neutral. It maybe is the better way to put that. This is somewhat more complicated in a different personality assessment which is called the big five so since myers-briggs has lots of problems i didn't i'm not going into the details of it but myers-briggs also fails on some fun things like reliability which is just the the property of when you take the test multiple times you get the same results over time that is not true of myers-briggs so that's why it's not largely used in social sciences other than to study myers-briggs itself so <laughs> anyway, it, it, anyway, so the, uh, the assessment that is used more, that's how you get tenure. Yeah. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> you invent a test, you make it popular, and then you develop a yes. whole department studying Study the, the test. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what, I, I just love that it was, anyway, it was people who didn't have tenure. Like the story is often told that, um, the Myers and Briggs were like in their basement putting together this, this, uh, model, um, Anyway, so the one that's more popularly used in social psychology is called the big five personality assessment. And the big five, you can remember with the acronym OCEAN, O-C-E-A-N. O is for openness to experience. E, uh, C, how does OCEAN spell? That's embarrassing. C is for conscientiousness. E is for extroversion. A is for agreeableness. And N is for neuroticism. Yeah, you like that one? Yeah, I feel like one of those things is not like the other. So, (laughs) fun. So, neuroticism sometimes gets inversed. So, the inverse of of neuroticism is emotional stability. It messes up the acronym, but there's probably a different acronym for that. (laughs) But, again, the the goal is... ECA. What is that? Well, it's with the E. Oh, yeah, yeah, at the end. So... The newest fragrance from Dior. That's what it sounds like. So, the... Water is the essence of moisture. Moisture is the essence (laughs) Of wetness. OC. Happy New Year, everyone. Okay, so <laughs> the Big Five, same as Myers Briggs, wants to have this assumption that there are no better or worse personalities. Mm-hmm. So, is there one of those five? Uh, Eroticism <laughs> sounds way worse. Yeah. So the. Uh, modern versions of the big five have these like subcategories beneath them and neuroticism is made up of the two subcategories anxiety and depression and uh, uh, <laughs> I, I just think it's absurd to make the statement that those are not moral categories like that those are just 
aim that those are there's yeah. traits and right. you have them and you are them and yeah. you are either anxious or not anxious it's and ridiculous. you're always going to be that way and, and this gets back to your classification thing but that's also the goal of it is to classify people so it it accomplishes that Mission accomplished. yeah so it will classify you but then it tells you some like really subtle lies in there and that's what i was just getting at of you'll always be this way you'll never change and you just kind of get used to your personality and not try and be something you're not or even worse others have to have to just deal with it yes oh i, I think that's a great one mm-hmm. that yeah we can't do anything about the people around us this is kind of a bummer so that gets us to some place of the modern personality assessments you had mentioned this before and i just thought it was funny let me see oh. <laughs> Uh, this is a quote from a blog and it's pro- potentially the dumbest thing I've read in my life. Jesus had preferences for INFJ or perhaps INTJ, INFP or INTP. This might explain why he stood out like a sore thumb. <laughs> because he was one of like six different possible types. Well, or that it was his personality type that his led to him standing out. He got him <laughs> crucified. Yeah, like, I'd say a more important element of his personality is God divinity. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that has a little bit more to do with it. Anyway, I just thought that was really If dumb. I was divine, I, I don't mean, know how you test for that. Again, Are you God incarnate? Yeah. Yes. Extreme yes. Uncertain <laughs> no or extreme no. So is that E or I? So this blog <laughs> po- <laughs> Yeah, seriously. Immortal or eternal? Yeah, but that's the thing. Like, uh, um, like, if you say that Jesus has a specific kind of personality, everyone's going to say, all right, well, then his personality is the best personality. Right. When, you know, reality is, is this is... We can't all be yeah, God. Yeah, when, when you start classifying and turning people into, when you start nouning, when you start nouning verbs, um, you, uh, uh, I feel like you just, yeah, it, it's really dehumanizing. Say why? Because you are taking the brotherhood of man and then putting them into categories and saying that they are uh, gated communities of no, of no currency, right? Like, like um, if you are this kind of person, you will always be this kind of person. And here's the kinds of things that will make you happy, or here's the kinds of, ex- of ways that you need to exist in the world. And any other permutation of those ways is, you know, not going to be good. And, it doesn't so like you know here's maybe a man that you admire well he's a different personality than you so you are never going to be like pericles or you are never going uh-huh. to be like jesus or you're never going because of your personality you're just never going to be that way because you don't have that personality try as you might so i feel like it takes away so much potential so much agency and it is a huge barrier for like development for people to become virtuous yes but but do the test get at something of people are different from each other yes so <laughs> no i'm gonna go with no so so no no let me make i'll take the other side it's, and then you're gonna correct me so to say that we are i think you said this at the beginning someone said this at the beginning that the classical conception is that we are man or we are woman mm-hmm. and then we go from there right but there's more complexity to it mm-hmm. like to say that the only difference between correct. us is our gender is not true it is the rush to precision. That's the ah, thing. That's fair. It's you can make general claims, but it gets more absurd the further down you go. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of like chemistry, right? Like you know how a chemical reaction is going to go, but the further down you go to subatomic particles, you have sort of chaos and unpredictability. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like it's sort of analogous to talking about individual people, right? Like you can generally make claims about what groups of people are going to do or what different temperaments are going to do. But the fir- but when you try to get more and more and more specific and more and more surgical in your 
and precise in your in your pronouncements and in your it's 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 going to be you're going to get to these absurdities. Um, it's like that. Um, um, yeah, and so then you're going to actually you're going to fall in love with your model and then demand people to fit it. Yes, at some point. No, that's fair. That's totally spot on. So let's. I get just as an aside, there's a fun Quora. You all have used Quora before Mm -hmm. where someone asks a question and then anyone can reply with an answer. There's this fun thread asking what is Jesus's personality type. And the majority of responses say something to the effect of, I think he's this much like me. And it's just, (laughs) this is one of your points of like, we will then ascribe to our heroes what our personality is because we want to be the heroes, which is interesting and funny. Okay. So what we have, is this our successful takedown? Did I mention that? Isabel, the daughter, was a wrote mystery novels. That was her thing that she cool. did. Did I say that? Anyway, nope. So that's fun. Okay. So yes, all these tests are ignoring a morality to them to say that all of them are the exact same and they're all fine and you should just be the way that you are. Okay. Let's talk then. You all, I told you all beforehand that we were going to get to the four temperaments. So let's, yeah, let's start with that. So there are four of them. Do we want to do quiz show and name them off? We know them all. Sanguine, phlegmatic, uh-huh. choleric, phlegmatic, melancholy, melancholy. Yeah. So, what are these four temperaments? Can you describe anything about them? The one you're sang- a fish, you're a fish person. Well, that one's my favorite. Let's do that last. So, sanguine is like I, I, it has to do with an excess of the humors. So, I think sanguine is an excess of Fire. blood, right? So, you're kind of. Oh. That's a, yeah. Sorry, not because it's literally elements, the word. Yeah. The so I think it's I think yeah, kind of like the town blood. blacksmith, right? You got ruddy red cheeks. You're real happy and jolly, but you got a temper. Yeah, um, that's sanguine. Choleric. We we now think of choleric, flying off the handle. I think you have an excess of bile. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's bile, it's, yellow bile. It's, yellow it's either black or yellow bile. It's yellow. Yeah. It's yellow bile. Yeah. So you are the, the, you do not want to be choleric you are angry this this is often depicted by a guy dragging his wife by the hair uh he he beats people he's evil associated with lightning and fire like just generally a bad dude it's rough isn't he rashy like his skin is inflamed with rashes i don't know maybe and then uh, black bile i think it is for uh, melancholy Melancholy. and melancholy is a little bit different now now it's kind of like depressed yeah Back then it was a little bit different, but I'm spacing on how. Um, it was wasn't it like quiet and going off by yourself and think and like more Saturnine, like thinking mm-hmm. about the end of the world and thinking about. Um, yeah, thoughtful, but not necessarily in a depressed way, right? Yeah, not necessarily, but mm-hmm. still kind of that sadness. tended towards the present. And yeah. then my favorite, phlegmatic. Basically, you are a human sponge person. Mm-hmm. Like you are disappointing to family, to teachers. You, you are not ambitious. Fish. You dream about wet, clammy things like fish. <laughs> You're generally kind of sweaty and usually kind of clammy and flabby. And just a useless person is what phlegmatic. Think phlegm mm-hmm. and then personify it. Yeah. So phlegmatic, phlegm, like phlegm. Phlegmin. Yeah. Phlegman. Phlegm person. Worst Avenger. <laughs> so apathy might be another helpful word to think about for phlegmatic. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So. AJ, you started off earlier in the podcast talking about how uh, when you are born is tied to each of these. Mm-hmm. Does anyone want to take a swing at the seasons that are tied to each of these? So sanguine is summer. No. No. Spring? Yes. I think summer no. is 
choleric, yes. isn't it? Oh, summer's choleric. Uh, phlegmatic. I'm gonna go with winter. Absolutely. Which and means melancholy. Melancholy is fall. That makes sense. You're you get a little about, moony. You uh, think about the fall. end. You know, the cold's coming. You're looking back. And then when winter's there, you got you have a cold, you're, yeah, like you're cork, just, stuff up. Yeah, so you're, yeah, you're just yeah. That's when blankets. The, and there's also a time of day associated with each as well. Mm-hmm. Like there's six hours of the day. I don't have that in front of me. Yeah, like, you, you know, there's actually a, a like uh, I, they talk about it. Six a.m. Um, to noon is sanguine. Noon to I can't remember. Yeah, Something I think like six. Yeah, six a.m. to noon is sanguine. I think midday is choleric, M- midday, and then like yeah. evening is melancholy, and, then and night is night is. is Phlegmatic, phlegmatic, I think. Yeah. And that's why they talk to uh, Brutus when he's walking around in his orchard and his wife's like, dude, you are tempting the roomie. Like, this is not the time to be outside. It's the phlegmatic time. Yeah. Like, you're going to make yourself sick. Mm-hmm. That's when the witches hang out, too. Yeah. This is terrifying. Okay. So, and there's a piece of it. We've said this already, but these four humors, so they act out in that there are certain behaviors tied to each of those. But what is the origin of those behaviors? What do you mean? Where so if I'm sanguine, why am I? If I'm overly sanguine, why am I overly sanguine? It's a it's a bodily situation. You yes. have you have too much of something in your body, you, and that you is causing you to act weird. Have an yeah, imbalance. You have a, imbalance, imbalance of the humors. That's uh, you're, This is great. So this is what we were getting at before: is that different people will have different bents, and they will and at some level, if it's tied to the physical, you're saying my liver works differently, my spleen, my brain, my whatever works differently from other people, which is true. We're, mm-hmm. There are similarities between all of us and that we are, that we have livers, gallbladder, spleens, brains, but they work differently, right? So mm-hmm. to say that there is a tendency in each of us, but the way that those, the way, if you are overly optimistic all the time, so overly sanguine, that's not viewed as a difference, that's viewed as an excess, that's viewed as a problem of some time. Yes. So, Take the next step of you this. You could be foolhardy. Yes, yes. But or and also you could also be too uh too unenthusiastic. Mm-hmm. So there's a negative side of it also. You don't have enough blood. You don't have enough your liver is underperforming from what it so, should be. So the desire is for balance. The desire is for having the four humors to be working together yeah. for health. And that's the that's the main point to get to in talking about the the temp, the four humors, the four temperaments, you'll hear it either way, is to say that the goal of them was to have the whole body working in perfect harmony, which would create a balance between these four forces. So let me just read the positive so aspects of the them. the ideal type. You would have the, the person you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But let me, uh, let me just read kind of some adjectives tied to each of these. So on the sanguine personality, this is what uh, I'm just saying this now. So I, to summarize the, what you all were saying before talkative, so sanguine talkative, enthusiastic, active, social, choleric, choleric, independent, decisive, goal oriented, melancholic, detail oriented, deep thinking, feeling phlegmatic, relaxed, peaceful, quiet, easygoing. Can you think of someone who you don't, are there any of those traits that you're like, yeah, we really don't want those. No, of course not. Cause they all have positive yes, aspects. They to all them. have positive mm-hmm. aspects to it. You want to have, you got some phlegm in there. Yes. Yes. Even though <laughs> otherwise yeah. you can't chew. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's also, yes. I, whenever I go through these and read about like the biles, I'm like, Oh, this is disgusting. But all these things are necessary to a fully functioning body as well. Right. Well, on with their rudimentary understanding of the body. Oh, this is fair. Yes. Sorry. So am I saying that literally these four things tie to the personality traits? No, though, to be fair, if you are overly enthusiastic and someone takes blood out of you, you will be less enthusiastic, <laughs> right? Like there, there, there is a truth. To it. <laughs> that'll, that'll knock you down. A yeah, couple it will. And, and that's, you know, people often will make fun if of, I got to drink yellow bile. I'm going to be mad. Yeah, seriously. Like, yes. <laughs> see, it's going to work. Yeah. So, or if you're bilious or if your spleen isn't working right, you're probably going to be a little bit grumpy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I wouldn't blame you. Yeah. So Aristotle often gets made fun of for 
having bad biology, but are we talking about the literal body or is there some like deeper truth to it of our personality being tied to our body in a close way? I, I went into more detail on this in my summer conference talks. So sorry, I'm breezing over this here. But when we do these personality tests, we dissociate ourselves from ourselves. We say mm-hmm. that these, the, here are these personality types of how I think I am, but it has nothing to do with my body or with myself. That's what Graham mm-hmm. is saying when he mm-hmm. says that we, I, what was, I, do you remember the exact phrase you says it dehumanizes? dehumanizes. Yes. Yeah. And that's what it's doing. It's saying that I'm a bundle of behaviors or ideas. I'm not actually a person. Or if you are separating it from your body at some level, it's kind of Gnostic. That yeah. you've got some secret, you've got some sort of secret way of existing deep inside, and you're and you're sort of spinning or ext- or, uh, or extrapolating or abstracting that from your actual body. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's a separation between. It's thinking that you are something secret and separate from your body in its entirety, and can be separately analyzed. And as a personal pet peeve, I, I just to share with you boys, I really don't like the word dehumanize. Why? I think it has been beaten to death and used in circumstances where it doesn't apply, right? That's we have fair. We have armies. Are armies dehumanizing? We have armies. Are, why? What? Mm-hmm. So I often hear the word dehumanize used in a context where someone is regarded. I mean, I don't want to say fully as an asset, but as like if I put numbers to my army and say I can spend 300 men at this particular place, is that dehumanizing? I mean... Yes, and uh, I would say as a general, no, but I still have to do it, Mm -hmm. right? That's still a a measure that I have to take. If someone insults me, is that dehumanizing? Maybe. No, I think it is treating me as a human. I think the moment they sell me as a slave or or check my teeth for problems, I think that is dehumanizing. I I think if there's a dignity to humans and you disrespect that dignity, I sure dehumanizing is not the first word I would use, but I I would. I think it is, I think this is my problem with it is not necessarily that it's always misapplied. Mm-hmm. I think it is more widely applied than it should be. And sure. I think it's lazy language. Sure. Or we live in very dehumanizing times. <laughs> or the term is right. right and, How, we, and the term is correct. I actually think our time is far less dehumanizing than almost any other that has ever existed. I disagree. I what are the movements right now? The movements are for human equity. Mm. No, they are for, they're for, uh, um, like, spreadsheets and and uh and 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 number crunching i i think i'm gonna ask that we table this because it sounds like a a fruitful discussion probably for another episode focused more on that oh we're gonna forget it though yeah that's the other goal so just kidding sorry in my leadership class whenever my students go off topic i say okay we're gonna put that in the parking lot and so i keep a list of the parking lot but we also very rarely go back to the parking lot anyway here we are this conversation sorry so the only other comment to make on the temperaments is that they are tied to the age of a person as well. And all I'm saying with that is that there are things that are going to be easier for you. First off, based on your own biology, how you're born. Some people are born. uh, The modern term for it is a uh, happiness set point the hedonic treadmill is another idea tied to this, but some people are born happier than other people. Some people are born less happy than other people. Uh, Some people are born, more aggressive than other people, pick any of those things, any of these personality traits. Does anyone want to push back or disagree on that one? Nah. Okay. No, no, but I mean... You got, you got happy babies and you got angry babies. Sure. That's a thing. Yeah. But the average baby, we would say, hmm, would I actually say this? The average baby is kind of just like happy. Like everything's... Anyway. Nah. Oh, really? There anyway. are some that cry out, just have problems all the time. I wasn't going to shoot holes in this, but the tied into the ages 
the sanguine temperament is tied in with infancy. The uh, choleric is tied in with youth. So again, that's the aggressive, angry (laughs) is tied in with youth. The melancholic is tied in with adulthood. So uh, again, that kind of getting away kind of sadness. um, Yeah. We wanted to move away from that term. Uh, Analytical and detail oriented. Mm -hmm. Deep thinking is associated with Mm -hmm. adulthood, which leaves then the phlegmatic for old age. Mm -hmm. So um, apathetic behavior, which is a bummer. But just to say that there are probably strengths that you have based on how you're born and your age, but then there are weaknesses tied with each of those as well. And so there's a wisdom in maintaining whatever that enthusiasm that there is and everything being new in infancy, maintaining that into youth, maintaining into adulthood, into old age. There is a wisdom in not giving into the pure aggression of youth, but also again, keeping that uh, excitement alive, uh, keeping that like deep thought alive. So, or the, 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 you know, strong, the the youth, strong sense of fairness. Yeah, sure. And getting really worked up about Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. So, Again, goal here is a balance between all of these. Some of them will come easier to you, but that doesn't mean that because it's easier to you, it's like right or good or better. Mm-hmm. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So I, I like the idea of that, you know, temperaments appropriate with age. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like there are temperaments that I feel are inappropriate to men of our, you know, age of mid thirties to early thirties. Yes. You're 30 now. You're almost 30. I'm 29. You're yeah, 29. I turned 30 in so like, May. There are temperaments that are more appropriate to that age that were less appropriate when we were 15. No, that's great. Yeah. And are, and then I don't really know how to, I haven't really thought about how that, are there temperaments now that would be also be inappropriate when we were 60? I guess if we were because, like because, ambitious for our careers yeah. at 60, kind of like King Lear, there's something, mm-hmm. there's something like, uh, Bro, bro, give it up. Yeah, yeah. There's something yeah. offsetting about, off-putting about that. But if you're sort of phlegmatic and unambitious when you're 21, there's also something like this is the prime of your life. You need mm-hmm. to go, you know, go out and make something of yourself. Um, no, and I think that's a great point that even what those different traits look like at different ages will be different. I'm thinking of the movie The Graduate, right? Where mm-hmm. um, what's his name? Uh, Dustin Hoffman is at the dinner party. And Going to like, plastics. You know what? The future, yeah. the future is plastics. And yeah. he's like, I just don't want to do anything. Yeah. Um, and then he has the like boomer fantasy of destroying the middle-class existence and running away in a romantic gesture and then realizing that it was a big bummer. Yeah. Well, this was, this got, oh, I got lots of feelings about the movie, the graduate. Anyway, I keep going that you love it so much. I hate that okay. So I was not planning on talking about this and it's not purely classical. So you all might hate this and we can go with that. Uh, let's, talk briefly about the totally hokey but totally fun to talk about enneagram yay so the this is catholic stuff you should know that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well that's is it catholic it's i heard a lot of this is what's complicated okay, this protestant is churches let's add to more of our complications so bring it first off what is the enneagram the enneagram are nine personality types if you want to call it that way um no they're sort of like nine behavior types um associated with a number and um and they have th- that's all i know okay so <laughs> just starting with the word itself enneagram is nine nine points or like nine-sided mm-hmm. shape like anyway that's what it, enneagram literally means and so if you google enneagram you might be worried that you're looking at a pentagram i promise it's not it just it's a shape that's all it is mm-hmm. so enneagram this is what graham just said whoa the Enneagram. Enneagram. Wow, this is sorry. Where, yeah. Wow. So there are, it's a shape with nine points. Those nine points represent different kind of sets of, of traits or attributes. 
sometimes you'll hear it described as a thing that is old or classical or whatever. What they mean by that is that the ideas behind the Enneagram, some people say, come from Evagrius, one of the Desert Fathers. We talked about him on the Acedia Acedia episode, if you want to go back to that. So Evagrius came up with these eight deadly thoughts, eight deadly thoughts. And then Thomas Aquinas, who was obsessed with the number seven, eventually adapted those eight into seven. And that uh, he combined two of them into acedia or sloth. So it was both uh, a laziness and then also like a despair over spiritual things got combined into acedia. Pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, anger, sloth. Proud of you. So those are are the seven. seven. Okay. So then uh, where the Enneagram actually comes from is that there was a dude who was writing stuff about personality in the 1920s. It was then adapted by another dude in the 1950s and then was largely rediscovered in the 1990s. I, in, in my reading of it, it was largely popularized by Father Richard Rohr, if anyone's mm-hmm. heard that name before. And then has recently kind of come into more knowledge with uh, uh, Suzanne Stabile's um, Road Back to You, if anyone's read that. It's a good book. So what is this? Why am I talking about this on a classical podcast? First, there are these ties to... Uh, Again, each of these types are tied to one of those eight deadly thoughts. And so what the Enneagram does differently from other personality tests is that it doesn't treat your personality as an amoral thing that you just are. Mm-hmm. It treats it as a descriptor of, yes, the differences between people, but doesn't let anyone say that they are perfect. There are weaknesses in each of these nine different types. So there's that. And aren't there, when you are under pressure these kinds of personalities come out when you are at peace these kinds of personalities come out this is the way that number threes go bad this is the way that number threes can be useful yep. doesn't the enneagram kind of yeah so talk about an- that another kind of thing? An- another thing that the that the enneagram does that other personality types don't is that it recognizes that people change under different situations so this is a weakness i think of myers-briggs and big five is that it says you are this thing and you're only that thing whereas what the enneagram offers is some flexibility in saying that most of the time you're probably this, but if you were in a really tough situation, you would be different in this way. And if you were in a good situation, you'd be this way. And I think that's a helpful way to understand our personalities. We're not the same all the time. We're not consistent moment to moment. So there's that. I it think is descriptive more than prescriptive in that way. It kind of does both yeah. because within each of the, the reason I'm talking about it and the reason I like it for, and the only, the only reason I'm talking about it is because this episode comes out on January one is that within each of those types there, if you read the work of uh, Don Risso, the wisdom of the Enneagram is his book and it's very, very good. Each of those types have different growth, have different paths of spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. I, I realize I'm sounding woo woo right now, which is fine, but what I find helpful in this idea is that the the sins that I need to overcome and the virtue I need to pursue, are, those are different for me than for Graham or for AJ because my temptations are different from Graham or from AJ. They are going to have strengths that I don't have. And so what it looks like for them to grow up is going to look different than what it is for me mm-hmm. to grow up. Just but, like how you have a different besetting sin. The yes. thing that you just can't, that it gets its claws in you that you just can't get out from under. And a piece of what is trying to be named in the Enneagram is that besetting yeah. sin. And that... Uh, so what's your number? It's believed... Oh, what be, are the numbers? Let's... Well, so... Did you just ask... Hey, what's your number, number? Hey, what's your number? <laughs> hey. hey, what's your number? What's on? And you'll, so, you'll sometimes... <laughs> It'd be funny if somebody asked you in a bar for your number and then I'm you like, gave them your Enneagram. I'm a, I'm a nine, nine I'm with a, a one wing. It's like, that doesn't quite maker. make any sense. So there are... <laughs> 
yes, Peacemaker is the name of one of them. So there that are is me. That's what I am. I'm number nine, Peacemaker. And for anyone out there who's also woo woo as you're listening to this and you don't like the idea of nine numbers, the the names are not the important part. It's the collection of traits that yes. is. So if you don't like the idea of being a one through nine, then ignore that. If you don't like the idea of the titles, then ignore that. Just I'll I'll I will very briefly go through the. Uh, yeah i encourage anyone who actually wants to do this to never take a personality assessment oh, related to this and to just it. read the descriptions and then find which one uh, lines up with you that's true uh, yes part of the reason that people like myers-briggs and big five is that they have tests that have been used for a long time that it's believed accurately find which of the types you are and that's not true of the enneagram it's not does not pretend to be scientific so there's that so the nine types i'm going to go literally in the number of one through nine but often people anyway whatever which yeah okay so number one is the reformer they are uh, rational idealistic principled self-controlled and they often can be perfectionistic number two is the helper i'm getting all this from the enneagram institute which is was founded by uh, don risso and i always get the guy's name there are two of them Anyway, I'll pull it up in a second. Number two is the helper. The helper is caring, interpersonal. They are generous and people-pleasing, and they can be possessive. Number three is the achiever. They are success-oriented and pragmatic. They are adaptive, excelling, driven, and image-conscious. Number four is the individualist, the sensitive, withdrawn type, expressive, dramatic, self-absorbed, and temperamental. Number five is the investigator, and this is the one that I believe I am. They are intense and cerebral. They are perceptive, innovative, secretive, and isolated. Number six. Maybe does have a, he has lots of secrets. I don't know about that, but secrets. number six is the loyalist, the committed security oriented type, engaging, responsible, anxious, and suspicious. Number seven is the enthusiast, busy, fun, loving type, spontaneous, versatile, distractible, and scattered. Number eight is the challenger, the powerful dominating type. Oh, I I think AJ is a seven. I don't know if he thinks that. I think I have tra- traits of seven. I, I don't really strongly fit any of these, I don't think. Which is fine. Number eight is the challenger, the powerful dominating type, self-confident, decisive, willful, and confrontational. Number nine, and this is what Graham thinks he is, is the peacemaker, the easygoing, self-effacing type, receptive, reassuring, agreeable, and complacent. I love you guys. <laughs> there it is. The test told me that I was also a number nine. But, but, but that's also why tests are... And that, but that's the thing. It doesn't sound like me at all. Yeah. Nine I does just want to like let you. you guys know that you bo- you're both doing a great job, and I, <laughs> I so think funny. that you Which are. Is funny I just you, think you guys are great. But you're often, Let's go um, jump in the lake. You know, <laughs> living in your, uh, it's just funny because you're also you're often described as a maverick, Graham, and that doesn't seem anyway. Someone who knows the enneagram better will be like, well, actually, the nine with the eight wing is really that's right. Anyway, we keep saying wings. People often will be one number, but they will have traits of one of the numbers next to them, and that's what we mean by wing. So. Anyway, so what, what, why am I talking with you about this? Part of it is that there is a value in knowing yourself. And so that value can be accomplished through any of these tests, be that Myers-Briggs, Big Five, uh, Enneagram, name your, the four temperaments, name your test. Knowing yourself is helpful and useful. There's a danger in overdoing it, and there's a danger in pretending that you accurately and with 100% confidence know your personality. And that's what get, makes me nervous about the Myers-Briggs and Big Five that they pretend to be scientific they're not really scientific but they get used a lot because people make money off of it anyway there's that and and going into the new year i don't know if this might just be me you all might not struggle with this but i often will set goals for myself that are things that i'm never actually going to accomplish but i want to be like someone i'm not and probably will never be i like 
I could act differently and I could be a totally different person, but there mm-hmm. are certain things, there are certain things that I prefer, certain things that I like that just it's because of who I am. Uh, in any case where that is sinful or wrong, obviously I should avoid or turn away from that. If it's non-virtuous, I should turn away from that. But there are, there are amoral differences between people. Is that a fair way of saying it? There are mm-hmm. things that we would call personality by which we mean people act differently from other people. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so understanding how you're different and how other people are different from you, I think is very helpful. And that's, what's been useful for me in studying the Enneagram for what brief amount I have is to understand how other people see the world, not in a wrong way, but that other people just see things differently than I do. Uh, but then also whatever your growth development, you know, m- uh, maturation looks like is going to be different for each individual because, because we're each different, you have a strength. And if you're bragging on your strength all the time, you're not growing. Um, so understanding where your weaknesses are, where your temptations are, I think is an incredibly helpful thing. And that's part of what has been helpful with the Enneagram. I think the four temperaments accomplishes this also. If you see in yourself a lack of one of those four categories, but that's the reason we're talking about that today. Yeah. I think the balance, the idea of, of the four humors and the balance, I think is a very helpful one. Um, I think that anything that DV, that anything that moves you away from thinking that of anything that reinforces in your mind that this is, these are sort of amoral distinctions, I think aren't very helpful. Like there are clearly better ways to be a human being in this world and people will use personality as a license for vice. Mm. Um, and I think doing that is, is dangerous or reinforcing that or, or having something under the guise of science um, to give you license to make you a licentious person in regards to vice, I think is a great bad thing. Um, it's kind of like, I always think about these personality tests like the Enneagram and the humors kind of like the old farmer's almanac. Like it's, it's feels like woo woo. Sometimes, you know, it's maybe true. A lot of the time it, it makes no claims to precision. And if you decide to go more precise into it, it's not going to work because you're dealing with the natural world. The natural world is like you could plant the two same seeds with the two same conditions in the two same area of your garden. And one seed's going to be healthy and one seed's not going to be healthy. Like it's just, there's so many factors at, at play, but when you get to these Myers Briggs, you get to these things that are, are trying to um, nail it to the wall and a little more precise. I feel like that quest for precision creates a lot more potentials for big blowups it's, it's less, I mean, maybe I've been reading too much Nassim Taleb recently, but yep. it creates like too many opportunities for catastrophic failures, whereas Enneagrams or Farmer's Almanac or um, uh, the Four Humors, since they're a little more fungible and since they're a little more forgiving, they yep. are a little, um, um, they're not anti-fragile, but they're a little more, uh, um, in their looseness, they actually have a strength to them, that they're not making claims to be precise. Um, they're giving you a mental model to help you organize, but they're not saying they can carry the thing across the finish line. They're just they're just telling you that they, you, it can sort of help you organize your way in the world and help you deal with men. But anybody who is in a long-standing relationship with a best friend or a spouse knows that if you try to read, like... If you're trying to resolve conflict, 
reading books about something that your spouse generally is versus getting to know that individual person specifically. One is going to bear a lot more fruit and is going to be an easier path to resolving conflict. Right. And it ain't reading books. Right. Um, it's the it's the actually getting to know the individual specific person. Um, um, I think there's an analogy to that with medicine, but I, I sort of am I'm scared to go there. I'm, I think I'm always leery of anything where it, it oversimplifies the human condition in a way that hasn't been, I mean, this is going to be a chronological snobbery thing again, but tested by time, right? And, and I think that this is a, this is rec- recognizing the perhaps outcomes of a person rather than the motivating and driving forces. I'm, I'm leery of these specifically because Myers-Briggs doesn't identify things as good or bad, right? There are a number of reasons why right. I could want to be with people. I could well, want to be one with... One is thinking and it's and its antithesis is feeling like... Because we should do both, yes. right? Isn't that... So, <laughs> so my issue is that I, I could want to be with people for several reasons. One, because I don't... I, I can't be alone because I loathe myself or because I like the accolades that come from being with people. Exactly. And I, so it could come from pride. It could right. come from sloth. I think that listening to the warp and weft of virtue and vice and good and evil as driving forces in the human person are a far better way to understand the human condition than saying, I just like to be around people or I like to think before I act, right? Mm -hmm. Someone who doesn't think before they act needs chastisement, not to recognize that that's the kind of person they are. Um, And so like even, even with those things, right? Saying like, plunking yourself down under saying, I'm a vicious person full of vice. That is dangerous because you are not allowing for the movement of the soul. And even then you might be misunderstanding yourself, right? So anything that oversimplifies the human person or doesn't get at the driving forces of personality and rather what it does is identify the edge fringes is something that I am leery of. Yeah. So and shouldn't tell me how I want to live. So to end this podcast, can I give you what my New Year's advice is to our listeners? Can I give one quote to tie oh, up? Be, Sorry. By all means. This is, uh, AJ just said it perfectly, and we should be leery of all of these models. And this is a quote I think I, I referenced in the last episode. This is attributed to a statistician, George Box. All models are wrong, but some are useful. Yeah. And that's what we're getting at with this. So Mr. Box like to think outside of the box? <laughs> He's thinking outside the box. Um. Yes. My New Year's advice to you, dear listener, since we're short on time, is someone once asked Eugene Peterson, Eugene Peterson, he just recently, recently died, yeah. was a theologian, uh, uh, a Bible interpreter, and they asked him, what is, how do you grow spiritually? And they're expecting some kind of answer about read your Bible or carve out devotional time or go to church. And Eugene Peterson said something that um, I have used as my model for spiritual growth. And if you take it seriously, it is a very powerful thought. He said, do the next right thing. That was it. And if you think about that, like, what is the next right thing that you need to do? When a situation comes, think, what is the next right thing? And that, I think, is going to, is a better mental model than, um, than uh, or that, that's going to um, uh, bear a lot more virtuous fruit in your life this year than, than more specifically categorizing yourself. At least that's my advice. Yes, that's great. All right. Thank you for listening. This has been Classical Stuff You Should Know. And did we even introduce ourselves? 
I'm AJ. I'm here with Graham Donaldson (laughs) and Thomas Magby. Hello. And thank you for listening. If this is your first time, we're glad to have you. What a way to start the year. Graham Donaldson, INTJ number nine on the Enneagram. Uh, What else do you need to know about me? Patronus is a duck. (laughs) Uh, So if you'd like to email us, you can reach us at veritasacademy.net. If you'd like to tweet at us, it's at C-L-S-S-C-A-L. Stuff. Stuff, right? And mm-hmm. then our website is classicalstuff.net, and you can find all our episodes there along with pictures and some hastily written bios. Uh, you can also get to know us. We respond to emails pretty regularly, so if you have something you want to say, by all means, or if you have a question or a suggestion for a podcast, let us know. All of that said, thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.